You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have Abu Chabalut, co-founder at Diagnos. Um, and in this episode, we'll talk about the healthcare industry, how a small startup can get through all those regulations along sales cycles and fundraising during the pandemic and to get to success. So Abu, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Diagnos. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, a little bit about myself. I am an attorney by education, uh, but I've also been a healthcare entrepreneur for a number of years. Actually, launched a few other healthcare companies prior to Diagnos. Uh, one of uh, uh, the interesting ones was uh, a company where we were buying um, and litigating unpaid. Uh, medical bills uh, owed to providers from insurance companies. Um, I learned a lot about how money flows in our healthcare system and a lot about the pain points that providers face in the operation of their uh, medical establishments. And during that same time, I got into the provider side of the business and started to manage um, an urgent care and a pharmacy and uh, discovered very quickly that the the provider side of the business is very challenging for for a number of reasons that we can get into later um, if if there's time Um, but uh, kudos to all the healthcare providers uh, who are surviving out there um, in in terms of uh, maintaining their own clinics or hospitals Um, it's 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 a difficult business um, and I also, uh, during that same time, ran and operated a medical billing company and learned a lot about how the service side of healthcare operates and how oftentimes the, the, the vendor's incentives are misaligned with that of the provider's incentives. So uh, what I'm doing at Diagnost today really is informed by all of these experiences and all and all of these viewpoints from multiple aspects of our healthcare system. And my goal with Diagnos is to uh, bring efficiency in areas that aren't really um, sexy, so to speak, and, but, but areas where I believe um, will, will, will create uh, a big impact, um, a big impact in terms of revenue, um, and a big impact in terms of reducing administrative burdens that providers are facing on a day-to-day basis. Right, that's a really cool goal. And can you tell us a little bit more about what Diagnos specifically do? Yeah, so our technology helps providers select better codes with AI. Um, better codes? Best, better, yeah, better medical codes. And the best way to best way to think what about is it, a medical code? Great question. Um, <laughs> so the best way to think of medical coding is to think it to think of it as a translation exercise between providers and insurance companies. Um, so th- the next question is, well, why do we need to translate what providers are doing 
or insurance companies? And, and the answer to that is, is, is uh, uh, a few things. Number one, at least in the United States, the vast majority of, uh, of, of healthcare um, reimbursements or, or uh, healthcare expenses are paid by insurance companies on behalf of patients to the providers that are delivering those services. So uh, if, if, if our healthcare, if, if in the US we're spending $3 trillion on healthcare, almost all of that is paid out and dispersed by an insurance company. And uh, when you think about the process by which a healthcare insurance company is going to pay trillions of dollars, you'll quickly realize that th there needs to be a system behind it. Um, a, a healthcare system is not gonna have time to read doctor's notes and figure out how much they're gonna need to pay that doctor. Uh, but but what, what can happen is the doctor can translate what they did for a patient and what's wrong with the patient into a series of procedure codes and diagnosis codes that an insurance company can understand very quickly and then disperse uh, uh, money based on that. So medical coding is essentially that translation exercise. Um, and and there, there, there's there's another way to think about it as well, and and that way is not it has nothing to do with money. It just has to do with healthcare management. So if you think about how do we manage healthcare as a country, or how do we manage population health, uh, we have to have way have to have a way of seeing what's happening on on the front lines of our healthcare system. So uh, these codes help governments understand. Um, the the you know just the, the the general state of 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 the population's health um, on a national scale um, and also uh, we can start to zoom out a little bit and understand population health on a global scale using these codes. So the United States is not the only country that uses these codes. There are many countries um, uh, across the the globe that uses a uh, similar structure to uh, record and manage healthcare encounters. Mm -hmm. Right. Sounds pretty complicated. So let's not go any deeper into the technicalities of the, the, the those codes and talk about how someone with no legal experience. So you you actually uh, you had some law experience in the past and you were in the medical field before and that's why you kind of understood the field. Do you think it's somehow possible for someone who is not in the uh, medical industry get into that industry? as a startup founder? It's a good question. And, you know, my answer to that is it depends, right? My journey was what as a, as a founder was one where um, I started building companies and I started to learn more and more about an industry. And, and, and the more that I uncovered, um, the more that I found gaps and, and basically my decision with diagnose is to just go deeper into into what i had started uh uh previously um but but i went into a space that i would argue requires that domain knowledge however healthcare is a big industry um there are many aspects of our healthcare industry where you do not need uh domain knowledge um 
And, and the healthcare, you know, when you think about healthcare, you can think about it um, um, in terms of building a company that's, that's B2B, um, or you can think about building a company that's B2C. So there's a lot of movement, movement in our healthcare industry that, that is, is, is trying to make some aspects of the industry a little bit more retail um, so, and a little bit more consumer facing. Um, and, and those, I would argue, you don't need as much, nearly as much domain um, experience uh, to be involved with. Um, for, for example, you know, there are uh, telemedicine companies out there that are making it very easy to get the prescriptions that you need as a patient without forcing you to have to book an appointment with your primary care provider actually go to the clinic and wait in a waiting room, then see a doctor in order to get the prescription that you already know that you need. Um, so, so those, you know, those are a little bit more retail facing, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, not as complicated. Uh, when you talk about the world of revenue cycle, um, and, you know, this is where you get, you get very niche um, and, and, and things get obscure very, very quickly. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend getting into it without prior exposure in that world. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's actually a good topic to discuss. The sales cycle. I know that usually they're very, very, very long and complicated. So how do you approach this? process of actually selling to hospitals, to individual doctors, how, how do you do this? So we're figuring this out as we go. Um, but in my experience, um, especially in the world of healthcare revenue cycle, when you prove that you can do something, that will lend itself to um, let's call it inbound traffic, um, that, 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 that's going to ease the, the sales cycle. Um, and, and why is that? I mean, revenue cycle is such a pain point that once you, know, you prove that you have something that's generating some value, then, then the, 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 you know, the ability to sell, it honestly, is, is accelerated um, in, in, in ways um, that actually um, would, would counter this like assumption that it's going to be a long sales cycle. However, however, getting to that point is, is, is the key, right? Because at the beginning you have to be able to sell a vision and that can take a long time. Um, especially when you're thinking about building an artificial intelligence product, which has a massive chicken and egg problem, which is data, um, in order to build an amazing product, you have to have the data to do so. But in order to get the data in a healthcare setting, you almost need a product um, to, to, to um, you know, ease um, all, the, all the concerns. And you actually have to have an infrastructure to make sure that you are staying HIPAA compliant um, and that you are uh, minimizing risk for all parties involved. Um, so, so I, I would say that the primary thing is validation, figuring out how to validate uh, your technology as quickly as possible um, will, will lend itself to um, really figuring out sales um, in, 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 in a way that is not going to be as complicated as, as, as you think it will be. 
Mm -hmm. Right. That's actually another very, very complicated subject to do in the healthcare space, validating the need for the product that you're developing, because as you said, you know, the chicken and egg problem. Um, so on the example of Diagnes, how do you approach that problem? So how do you make sure that you know, people actually need the product that you're developing right now? You know, it's, 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 it's funny, like the way that we started thinking about it early on is similar to how we were thinking about fundraising. So, you know, we would, we, we, we called it a data raise. So we would, we would go and we would, you know, find um, interested parties, or maybe we would find publicly available data sets. And then uh, we would work on product and then use that incremental um, progress that we made to really get buy-in from others that we were talking to, get more data, and then so on and so forth, right? It was, it was very much an iterative process. Um, every time we made progress, we were able to unlock, we were able to unlock opportunities um, downstream that then gave us more data that then in turn allowed us to make more progress and then, which then enabled us to raise money, which then enabled us to get more data. You know what I'm saying? It was this kind of like, you know, th this, mm -hmm. this, this uh, um, um, tr you know, triangular uh, uh, journey that that you know we were going on with with the triangle um you know including money uh data and product right and we had to kind of go around uh the the, the triangle um in in kind of a in 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 kind of a cyclical fashion um in order to uh to to make progress Nice. I like that quote, money, data, product. <laughs> so speaking of money, let's talk about the fundraising for Diagnostics. Have you raised any money yet? We have. So we, we raised um, our first round from the House Fund, which is a fund focused on Berkeley entrepreneurs, uh, Berkeley entrepreneurs being um, either graduates from UC Berkeley or affiliated with UC Berkeley in some way or fashion. And uh, they, they have a, I mean, they, they invest in, in a variety of, of industries and verticals, but, but they, they, they do have a focus on AI. Um, and uh, uh, we're, we're, we were very happy to get them on board. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do you get in touch with them? Do you just literally go through the, um investors who focus on those Berkeley graduates and reach out to all of them, or do you already have any previous connections with that specific fund? Yeah, it's, it's so, I mean, I was fortunate to be in law school at the time. Um, so I already, like, I had that connection there. I was in the community um, and, and in, you know, when you're in, in the Berkeley community there, you, you just know about the house fund, especially if you're, if you're, if you're a founder and, and you're an entrepreneur and you're, and you're moving in those circles. Um, the, there's one other, uh, um, uh, fund slash incubator in Berkeley called Skydeck. So it's really those two organizations, um, that, that, uh, make their rounds at Berkeley. So we just, just heard of them. And at the time. Um, we were talking to uh, YC and we were talking to some some other investors um, and, uh, you know, just naturally having those conversations leads you to more investors. And we eventually got connected um, to the team at the house and we 
we talked to them about what we were doing and, and, and they jumped on board. Nice. That's, that's the quick fundraising. I like how it sounds. <laughs> so, um, speaking of fundraising, uh, you know, going back to that process, do you think you would change anything in it at all? So maybe you would raise for more than one investor or you would go out to other angel investors or strategic investors or anything that you would change at all? You know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Um, I think if, if anything, I would have probably focused a lot more on just working on the product. Um, I think, I think that that, you know, when you're first starting out and you're, you're, you're super early stage, I would, I would still define us as early stage, but when you're, you're, you're at the idea stage, just, just trying to figure out, um, what you're doing, whether or not what you want to do makes sense. Uh, you, it's, it's very easy to get sucked into this idea that you have to go raise money like any, like all these other companies do. And you're reading TechCrunch and you see all these headlines and you're like, Hey, you know, if, if, if this is what everyone's doing, I should go do it. Um, but the reality is, is that those companies that are raising at the idea stage and, and raising from top investors and top funds either already have a name for themselves in, in, in the Bay area or in Silicon Valley or in whatever, um, you know, community that they're, that they're, that they're building their company or, um, they've, they've done something in the past, um, that lends itself to raising at such an early level. Um, so, so if you're not that, if you don't fit in those two buckets, either being in the community, like being in that circle, um, or, uh, someone who's already proven that they've done something before um, in, a, in a big way, then, then I would focus a lot more on product and, and validating product in the cheapest, um, most MVP way possible um, and, and getting buy-in from a customer uh, and, 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 and basically at that point, start your fundraising. Because when you have that data, when you have data to, to, to show, and I'm not talking about data to build an AI product. I'm talking about data generated from, uh, you know, a, 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 a validated product or at least, um, a, a, you know, minimally validated product plus a, a customer who's working with you that speaks for itself. And when you're mm -hmm. sitting in front of investors, the conversation is no longer a defensive conversation. It is it is an offensive conversation. So that that's what I would have done early on. Is I I wouldn't have necessarily bought into that I need to raise right now, um, and focused a lot more of my energy on figuring out how do I make this product work with whatever resources I have today. Right. That's good advice. People should definitely follow it because a lot of founders feel like as soon as they have done their pitch deck and that's that's the good time to go race um but speaking of the customers and getting them early on uh, on our pre-interview call you mentioned that you actually have some cash generating contracts with the government of the united states so i'm curious now how do you manage to get into those yeah so you know in in the fundraising process so we 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 raised from the house and then we we decided we wanted to raise again um, I, I, I realized very quickly that 
you know, the, the fundraising sometimes is, is not the way to go. Um, so I started looking outside of, of your, your traditional VC circles. Um, and then I learned that the government actually um, is, is very interested in, in early, early stage technology, especially if you have some proof points. Um, and, and, and depending on the department, whether it's the, 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 the NIH, for example, um, they will have uh, these, these programs called SBIRs. And that those departments within a department will basically issue contracts um, for innovative technological um, advancements, um, and 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 basically they will they will fund the innovation on a commercialization track. Um, so you can actually get a contract from the government, um, and it's not necessarily going to be a commercial contract, um, but it'll be an innovation contract. So I highly encourage um, you know, all of your listeners to, to search those websites, find the government entity um, um, that may or, or, or may not be, sorry, not may not, that may be interested in your type of technology and make sure you're monitoring um, the type of announcements that they're making and, and the type of contracts that they're putting out on their websites. Uh, because you may actually find one that uh, overlaps with what you're building, and then you you essentially will will write a proposal, um, and uh, um, and if 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 they bite, that can that can turn into a contract that that's going to uh, uh, fuel the growth of your company. Mm -hmm. Right, that's actually very accurate. Government does like those projects, especially if you already have something proven out. If it's not too risky, then definitely take your time to try at least to work with the government. Uh, United States government is pretty generous. <laughs> so let's move on to the last two questions of today's episode. What's your major advice to the early stage founders listening to this episode and not necessarily in healthcare or deep tech? I would say my my number one advice would be to focus on your psychology during this during this time. Um, it's very easy at, at early days to you know, you know you, the the quintessential kind of the quintessential way of you know, describing the journey of a founder is is that it's a roller coaster, right? There's there's really high highs and really low lows. Um, and you know, m my advice is, uh, in order to get through it, especially in early days, especially in a situation where you know you you believe in in what you're building, but you're not necessarily getting the traction that you want, is to kind of step back a little bit and start to think about what you're doing as a journey and really appreciate the journey for what it is. Um, and, and, and why is that important? Because when you're looking at what you're doing as a journey, then um, it's not life or death anymore, right? It's, it's basically you're going through the process um, and that process is iterative. Just like building product is iterative, like your experience in in building this company is iterative. Every time you talk to somebody, 
you're just going to get better at how you think about building your company and you're going to get more tactical. Um, but if, 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 if you're going to let, you know, your psych, you know, your psychology drive you, meaning the, the highs and the lows, then I, you know, in my opinion, um, you're, you're not, you're not going to be able to, um, you know, grow as fast as an entrepreneur because you're too busy uh, um, being driven by your emotions rather than, um, you know, really, you know, looking at it as a journey and, and figuring out um, what, you know, the next part of the journey is going to look like and, and, and being tactical about it. 100% good call. That's, that's very important. I mean, yeah, everyone knows that startups uh, is just like a roller coaster going up and down literally every single week multiple deeps, multiple ups. So that's that's definitely good advice. Try to follow it, even though I know that most of the time you cannot, but at least try. And on yeah. this pretty positive note, uh, we're moving on to the last question of today's I, episode, which is I, have, a, I, I do have I do have one it. I do have one other piece of advice. And I think this was for key it. for key for us at Diagnos is just talk to anyone and everyone that's willing to listen to you. And, and literally that was my number one strategy in, 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 in building the company and getting to the point where uh, we have the funds to build out a world-class team and, 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 and build the product um, that I envisioned building. Um, and and it it's literally came from talking to anyone and everyone that would listen because because each person that you speak to is 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 potentially an opportunity to um, and to basically meet someone else or get an idea that's going to help you um, move what you're doing uh, uh, further down the road. And you know, you you asked me about um, getting into the healthcare space even without any you know experience, and I, mm -hmm. I would say that if that's if that's something someone is is doing or wants to do. Um, it, you know, talking to people is going to be that much more important. Uh, even if your immediate circle is not one um, that can help, just remember that everybody knows somebody. Um, and 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 moving moving through those connections um, is 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 absolutely critical. Um, and and you know, doing that can take you from being in a place where you literally just have an idea all the way to having a product and then being featured on TechCrunch, Fierce Healthcare, uh, whatever other, you know, it, at least that for us, that was a pivotal moment. Um, but whatever other journals or, or, or magazines in your space um, that, that, that are critical and, and you can get there, I, I, in my mind, it's just basically a series of conversations and, 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 and you know, iterative growth as a founder that'll get you there. Absolutely. Talking to people is essential, especially if you don't know something about the field. So that's that's an even better advice. And yes, very helpful. And on that point, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what is the one thing you want the listener to do right as the episode is over? So once the episode stops, what's the one thing you want them to do? I, I would want them to take more action in, in renewing 
let me let me kind of collect my thought here. Go um, for it. I would I would want them to take I would want them to renew their intention behind what it is that they're doing and what it is that they're trying to build. Um, and that, you know, as as founders, as entrepreneurs, you're moving a million miles uh, um, a day. And uh, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in your to do list. And it's very easy um, to to get stressed about what you haven't yet accomplished. Um, but but just take a step back and renew your intention about what you're doing. Um, and that'll give you a renewed sense of clarity of where you're going, which in turn will help you uh, make better and better decisions um, on a daily basis. And I'm talking about operational decisions. So that's, that, that, that's an action that I would like um, everyone to take, which is just take a step back, take a deep breath and renew your intention. All right, that's actually good since we're talking about, you know, uh reviewing what you're doing, how you're doing this. My call to action is going to be trying to put um, a very short elevator pitch for your meetings with people. A lot of the problems that I see with the founders when I meet them is they're they're struggling to explain what the hell they're doing. You know, I don't need five minute pitch. I need just like a couple sentences that should give me an idea of what are you up to. <clears throat> so my call to action is going to be try to do that pitch of course, uh, listen to Abad's um, advice and as usually, have a good day.